And we're live. I'm here with my my friend Sammy. Sammy, how you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you doing, Caleb? I'm doing good. Doing good. Happy to you are the 99th uh, episode of my of my show. So nice. All right, and then uh, me listening tomorrow night will be the hundredth episode. So make sure you uh, stick around, subscribe, like, comment, say all good stuff. And then tomorrow night will be the twelve hour live stream. So it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be a lot of effort. <laughs> <laughs> I got a bunch of Red Bulls. I got like a list of things to do. And if all those fails, I, I'm gonna stream Bioshock and scream like a bitch in front of the camera. So it, I think it's gonna be fine. <laughs> but um, we're gonna be doing a book club today on. The Bitcoin Standard by Saifedean uh, Moose. Did I say it? Yeah. I got to say, this is uh, another example of where the paperback looks fine, but the hardcover, simple and black but with gold lettering. I mean, come on. That that looks so much nicer on itself. <laughs> hmm. So what do you know about Bitcoin before we get into the actual book itself? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you know about Bitcoin? Uh, interestingly, I think Bitcoin's what got me into like economics, not the other way around. Just a little odd. I'd, I'd heard about it in like the whole 2017 fanatic, like when it was going up to like 20K. Mm. There's like this nerd I knew who wore a Discord hat, no lie, talking <laughs> about it. Like he'd mine Bitcoin on his, his computer or something. And I was like, what the heck is this guy talking about? But um, I don't know. I was listening to like investing podcasts like a couple of years ago and this guy always would be talking about him like why, why are you talking about this weird like magical internet money um I, but it sounded interesting and honestly there's like kind of like the fear of missing out aspect so i just looked up bitcoin books and this is like the first one that came up and it's actually what like introduced me to you know like mises and stuff wow you got a you got a good book for introduction because there's a, his when he goes through like you know Mises, Rothbard, goes on a bit of a critique, critique of Hayek, goes into like critique of uh, Friedman. Like, this is like the first half of this book was just like I saw, I saw a great Austrian economic, and then he really sums up a lot of like Mises stuff on like socialism and that kind of stuff really well. Um, I, I honestly kind of listening to this book today, I'm like, this is a book on Bitcoin, but I, I'm really enjoying like the this the standard economic side of it. And considering how popular this book is, it really makes me happy. I kind of these ideas yeah, are definitely. popular like that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah i remember like i mean i kind of didn't know who most of the names were so coming back i was like i didn't know you mentioned hoppa like eight times in the book yeah. i just like skimmed over that i guess i listened to the audiobook when i originally listened to it and i like miss a lot of stuff because you know um but but yeah i mean it's great it's just like the first half is just like a history of money it, it, it's it's great it, i like how it's very historical and not just here's bitcoin Absolutely, I uh, yeah, it's the history side of the things. Like, I'm, I'm a huge my my favorite thing of economics is like monetary stuff. I love mm -hmm. like history of money and how money works. Like one of my favorite Rothbard books is these are what is government then draw money or history of money and banking. Yeah, I love I, both I, those I books. Think I'm the same way. This the great books, uh, and so it was really fun when he started going to like the deep dives of history of money. I was like, yeah, mm -hmm. this is just, this is just shit. I was hoping for this. Um, but before we go deeper into the book, let's just kind of lay some ground things out. Like, what is money? Me remember listening to not know what money is. I think it's this great example. So I talk to my mom about inflation and see this. He put up a dollar bill and went, but it says one on it, so it always means it's one dollar. I'm like, no. It's one <laughs> Bitcoin of. equals one Bitcoin. <laughs> That's a meme. <laughs> so, I mean, what is money? Because I know you're like an economist type guy. So, can you? 
Maybe explain to the audience. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really the question this book tries to answer. There's an entire podcast show, like, by a Bitcoin guy called Robert Breedlove called What is Money? That's, like, the whole name. And he'll do, like, you know, like, 20-hour interviews just on that question. Um, I mean, that's what the first, I think, three chapters of the book is talking about. And it's basically the idea of, um, I mean, the Misesian or Mengerian, I guess, Karl Menger of the Austrian school was probably the first one to really write about it was that money is not like a state made fiat or like, like just like a thing created by a government. It is like a spontaneous order of people acting in their self-interest. So the idea is that um, through the division of labor, you need to trade with others. Um, like I have eggs, you have bread, and I want some of what you have, and you have some, you want some of what I have. But what you'll bump into is both you need the double coincidence of want and scale, like scalability issues. So say I want like a shoe, but I can't find, and I only have eggs. I, I can't find anyone with a shoe that wants my eggs. And maybe like, the just the, like the ratios don't match up so it's very yeah. awkward and it makes trade very difficult so what people would tend to do as a society develops is find a good that people generally like to accept a general medium medium of exchange so maybe that's i don't know cows in an area where that's like a really valuable good so what could happen is people start acquiring those goods not for their own consumption but because they know that it's a liquid or exchangeable good. And then as that happens, that good starts to develop a value, not just as it's like consumption value, but because people know, oh, people accept this. Therefore, I want to grab onto it because it gives me the option of like liquidity or flexibility. And then it kind of like takes on a life of its own as, as a money. And, and there's certain traits that you know, make something more likely to be money. Like wheat is not going to be great money because it'll just like go bad or I don't know, whatever happens to wheat or it's like very hard to carry around enough. So there's certain traits that he goes through um, that make a better money. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I think one of the things is um, like one of the problems today is people don't view money as a spontaneous thing. I know several people were asking to define money and they just go, whatever the, uh, centralizing power at be has money for people makes makes law for people you have to accept this as money so mm -hmm. the, the definition of money is whatever the state says this is the money you have to accept that becomes money and then you have no concept of like trade or good or money um outside of what government's institute has currency what well, i think we would call that um well not inherently it's not in, government institutes are inherently fiat but they are most often happen to be fiat mm-hmm yeah, it is interesting. It, it is a hard thing to grasp, especially in our world. Like someone like Warren Buffett is really opposed to gold. He's like, why would I spend all this effort digging something out of the ground, like building it into a little shiny rock? And it's like the rock doesn't do anything. And now what? That rock is going to be traded for something valuable. So it it almost is counterintuitive, especially when you're not you're not used to it, when we're so used to just basically our money is just a representation of value it doesn't it's not value itself it's, it's kind of weird yeah absolutely you cut out for a little bit right there like why would you start a sentence um yeah. get the mic closer to me yeah i mean i don't know i mean like you froze up the whole camera oh. froze up and stuff okay this could be the internet problems uh the storm is dying down so i don't it might be on my end um 
if you could just if you want to just like say this in this again or start over again because I, I I got the tail end of that and I think the first part that might maybe needs to be said as well. So if you could Okay. Yeah, I mean I think it's hard for people to basically what is the point of money or like why does it have value? Because it doesn't have a consumption end in and of itself. It's money is the only thing that doesn't fall into a consumption good or an investment good. And investment goods lead to consumption. So it's kind of like this weird enigma and especially when we're so used to a, a fiat world um it can be hard to understand why why would i need money when i could like invest in something yeah absolutely um let's get into the book so if, if it kind of goes through a lot of history of money we kind of define what money is gave some examples i think my favorite example of uh, money being used is either the island i can't remember the island that had the giant limestones Mm-hmm. Or, uh, and that was because they were hard to move and there were only so many of them and stuff like that. People could just go, okay, this is the money. People will keep track of it. And, that it's just, and I think it was a Virginia that used tobacco as currency mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the um, early American days, which I think is just hilarious to me. That tobacco mm-hmm. was money. I, I love it. It's like it's like prison times. Everyone needs cigarettes. Um, yeah, the cigarette currencies, those are fun as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, any any particular examples from the uh, historical section in the book you want to like we want to go deeper on for the podcast? I do really like the the yap stones. I forget what it is. I think that's the name. I think it's very interesting because I think a stone in his example of it doesn't actually have a use value ever. Like. Mm-hmm. People argue that gold only could become money because people could use it for jewelry. Like, that's what Peter Schiff always says. But, um, like, I don't know. I don't think these stones are used anything other than the stones existing. Like, I mean, I don't know if it's clout or what, but it's very interesting that the money could develop. And also, I found it very interesting, like, the example of that explorer who basically came and just... like dra- drastically increase the supply of these rocks using like explosives. And then suddenly the the tribe leader was like, no, we're not going to accept these because they, they were too easy to get basically. <laughs> um, and then that just crashes the, the currency, so to speak, because suddenly the scarcity has gone. So, yeah, that, so that it's very was smaller like, than people. technology destroying monies. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that, that king was definitely smaller than his people because they all accepted that money. He's like, oh, it's, just, it's small money. And mm-hmm. the king was like, this is going to crash the economy. Like, he knew. <laughs> yeah, it just Very takes early one proto bad Austria. actor, though. Yeah, so. Yeah. So hard. Um, so we have, we have the natural killing money that we talked about. Uh, what about, what exactly is fiat? Like, how, how do you define what fiat money is? So fiat, I would say, I mean, it's like by decree is the literal definition. So it's basically like... A, uh, some powerful force, generally a state, saying, by decree, we're saying that you will accept this as money. I mean, there's legal tender laws in basically every country. So you have to accept dollars for your services. You're not not allowed to. Like, you couldn't open a store that only accepted gold. And um, you can pay your taxes in them. So that's, I guess, some utility. And, I mean, government, like, supports kind of, like, the infrastructure for like a fiat system. Hmm. Um, he, he, I'm, I'm going to save the talking point for later, actually. Um, he goes through a gov- World War One, World War Two, the disaster effect World War One, World War Two had on money. And he goes into um, some points about like the, uh, what was it called? The um, Bretton Woods Agreement. Um, go mm-hmm. and the U.S. and the moving away from gold to fiat currency and how the U.S. Uh, dollar was going to be basically the 
reserves of the entire country. Um, yeah, the entire world. Yeah, yeah, entire world. Sorry, um, I thought it was very interesting. I, I really think that is um, it, it's strategically it makes sense when you want to go that route, but economically it was just a really bad move. Um, mm-hmm. What seems to be what the left's great at economically terrible decisions and then great strategic things. Well, I mean, it was good for the elites in the United States. It's definitely like, I mean, it's a very complicated topic and also one thing i want to like correct from what i said earlier is that i don't think like any fiat system has just been put in place like out of nothing because what is a dollar you know like it would be very arbitrary like what a dollar set at generally a fiat system um like is an outgrowth of a commodity money Mm -hmm. so like a dollar was uh 35 dollars per ounce of gold but then slowly that was eroded and then eventually you jumped off like we lost the peg, but we kind of kept the prices as if there was a peg. So it's not that it was created out of nothing. It's kind of like a slow fall. Like you kind of need like the base of like a real a real money, money system, yeah. if that makes sense. Uh, that's a good point. We kind, of, we kind of gloss over that part. Because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, the U.S. dollar is just a – has that same thing calls it a shit coin. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I absolutely I love the Bitcoin lingo, man. I I love it. Bitcoin, it's just, I I love it. Yeah, not gonna make it. Have fun, have fun staying poor. All those. <laughs> hmm. So, let's kind of go into the um effects fiat money has had, specifically fiat money and inflation effect. I think this is a, um kind of so why these things are terrible and seeing the effect they've had on things. Uh, I think here's a great chapter that I was I was not expecting was the effect fiat money had on art. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that was the chapter. I, once he once he brought that up, once he like said the entire chapter, I'm like, okay, I'm gonna sit down, like slow it, slow the speed down, really listen to this one because like the effects, the destruction of art has been like a big hobby horse of mine. I like follow and follow, and the, 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 I don't know why, but never really into my mind to track. Hey, how does fiat money affect this? And it was very interesting to see him kind of go into that about how um, government pushing shit art. Uh, to, to basically fuck with the Westerns during uh, the Cold War is this? I knew that, but I didn't think how that was really possible. Without you know, the use of like printing money, really wouldn't have been possible. And so mm-hmm. um, it is kind of a an interesting uh, detail he brings up. Yeah, it, you would really like his his second book because his second book's the Fiat Standard. So the entire book is like those two chapters. So I think he has like one or two whole chapters on um, Fiat art and then like Fiat food and. All that. So that fiat that's food. A, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm gonna just add it to my list real quick on the the fiat standard because that that definitely sounds interesting. Um, there we go. But yeah, I mean the, the effect fiat money has on the family, the effect um has on marriage rates and the marital strides, the effect it has on. I mean, literally, it it like everything. It, it seems to ruin a lot. Like all the good things about society or culture, it seems to be affected and hurt by this um the economic economic problem that stem from the creation and mass producing of uh printable fiat money yeah i mean once government has full control of the money in the fact that it's not backed by anything other than their own printer they basically can you know co-opt as much of the economy as they want so in in essence they could make the economy 99 percent socialist by just like times 100 in the money supply and then just devoting you know what i mean so it's like they can basically siphon as many resources from the rest of the economy as as they want and they can siphon it in ways they want like they can just print money and subsidize you know like pro lgbt companies 
And then suddenly the economy is um, prioritizing those and not out of any like preference. It's just the way the printing goes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his point about how the Keynesians, he really goes after Keynes. <laughs> like it's not like I, I, everyone in all circles knows Keynes was a despicable pedophile and a hedonist and all these terrible things. But for a mainstream book, just to be openly saying it was like a sock to me. And yeah, I was, I yeah. really enjoyed it because I was like, yes, everyone needs to know Keynes was a pedophile who would travel the country just to be a pedophile. Yeah, um, it was interesting. I remember that was one thing that I remembered the first time I read it. I was like, oh, wow, this is some like, you know, like heated criticism. <laughs> he was, um, Seyfedean was just on Lex Friedman or mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. Um, it's actually what and, led me to buy the book was that interview. Yeah. And there's like that disclaimer at the start of the video that's like, some of the ideas are extreme, like be warned. And it's like, <laughs> and it's so funny because Flex had Paul Krugman on. And mm, yeah. Just, like, oh, yeah. He, like him trying to defend Krugman and say for him just not having any of it was absolutely <laughs> hilarious. It is like, pretty I funny the, the, the hatred for Paul Krugman. I was meeting with this um, investing, like, uh, I won't go into details, but this guy in the investing world and we were talking about and he said he was like a former libertarian and he's like, oh, I'm still fully free market. Don't get me wrong. Like if I saw Paul Krugman in the street, I'd run him over with my truck and, like, <laughs> and he's like, I I'd go to jail. Like I'd take I'd take it. And that was like, I was like, <laughs> like I didn't even mention Paul Krugman. I was like, wow, I found like my people. Yes. I love that. I love that. Like, I, I didn't know who Krugman was until I started listening to uh, Contra Krugman. Which I, I came to Libertarian mm -hmm. after it ended. Like, I said, yeah, it over I did, so once I found out, I started like, rewatching all of them because they're on like Castbox and like podcasting apps. Mm -hmm. I found out recently, apparently, Tom Woods, like, not only would they, him and Murphy do a weekly show going after Krugman, apparently, Tom would fax the transcript of the episode to Krugman. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that part. It's, that's it's, great. I don't know if that's true, but I heard a few people saying that. I saw like a few posts about it. I'm like, that's that true? Because like that'd be that's just bottle. <laughs> yeah, I it is interesting looking back in that era of like like Bob Murphy and Krugman would like do back and forth a moderate amount. Like I kind of wish that was still happening. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know if you knew the story of I think his Bob Murphy's fans wrote like fundraise rose like a hundred thousand dollars for them to debate and then paul Krugman was like no i'm not going to debate you <laughs> and it's like oh that's just sex i would have loved to have seen that debate the only time i've seen him debate was he he debated ron paul who's not even an economist and ron paul still yeah that was I, I was like of course you debate the guy who's like not even an economist it's but, too loose yeah. <laughs> it was hilarious I, I loved it um but i think uh his point about how um, not not proven or Murphy, but uh, Safedine's point that the Keynesians have to push the Federal Reserve to put money because that's how they get paid. Um, mm -hmm. Reminded me of our recent lives thing we did on uh, Hopper's intellectuals in the state. Yeah, um, that they have they they don't they 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 believe they're worth more when they actually get paid in the free market, so they have to get kids to reign the power and then literally being called the people pushing the people to create money that then funds their own their own an ego. They are literally inflating their own ego. Yeah, it, it is interesting to think about like, what are the incentives of these people? Like, are they, do they really believe what they're saying? Is it like, a, is it just corruption and money? It, it's very, very interesting to think about this sort of thing. Like, how are there so many people like in academia, like, like believing these things? It's interesting. Yeah, makes you think. Let's give me one moment. Um... Sorry, this is a, a work thing. So I normally power that phone off, but I got a, a work situation going, no so I'm trying to um, 
Yeah. I'm gonna smoke this up here. So let's kind of let's get into Bitcoin. Let's get into the whole point of the podcast. Bitcoin. What is Bitcoin? Well, it was created in 2008 by a synonymous coder, Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, it was a long progression of internet money. Um, there was a lot of different, I think there was like BitGold, some other stuff in the late 90s, early 2000s. What's cool is some of the people that worked on those original ones are like still in the Bitcoin space today, like Adam Back, um, people like that. Um, and it was basically the first, um, you know, online currency to succeed that ha was trustless. So basically, um, like without a trusted third party, people would be able to transact with each other um, natively digitally. So like it was confirmed on the network and settled on the network. And th that's why in the white paper, which um, he published when it came out, uh, it was like peer to peer electronic cash was like the, the catchphrase, which, you know, people like like Sal, we could go into like the whole debate of Bitcoin versus Bitcoin cash. Um, I don't know if you know, Sal Mayweather, mm. he he's really into Bitcoin cash. It's kind of interesting. Really? I don't know why. Yeah, I've had <laughs> one of so I absolutely love Sal. He's a, he's a, he's Sal on podcast is amazing. Sal on Twitter was someone I've muted, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, if you get to talk to Sal, he's just, he's a fun dude. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's, he's so much nicer on like, podcast <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny that's um, funny yeah i like i'll like like his memes and then i see like him saying something about bitcoin and i'm like oh my gosh and then i'll just like yeah. like all the people that are ratioing him and that's <laughs> that's all i do <laughs> oh. um one thing i think the reason bitcoin is a solid money is one of the important factors of money is that it has it has to be one divisible and it has to be um either difficult to obtain or have a limited amount Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's just going to grow, 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 and inflate and have all these problems. Which is why gold has been a good money because it takes work to get and it's divisible. It has multiple uses. Uh, Bitcoin is like, a, I think Bitcoin is the first ever example of money where there's literally a, a set cap. There's never, it cannot be more Bitcoin. Yeah, that was like a pretty ingenious thing, especially done digitally. And it is interesting because he goes over the history basically of how each money, eventually a harder money, either technology was discovered that could drastically increase the supply or a harder money overtook it. And I mean, he doesn't like make the conclusion directly, but basically like that's what's going to happen to gold is, is kind of, I, what's interesting is he wrote this book in 2018 and I think he was more like, um, I mean, he definitely was, had a positive view of Bitcoin, but he was more like balanced. Like he, he saw pros and cons of gold and, and Bitcoin. I mean, I think he's still pretty, it's interesting for how like aggressively he writes, he still is pretty like a balanced thinker, I would yeah. say. This um, is impressive to be that aggressive yeah. sometimes, but still have like your balance, be, be, mm -hmm. try to be unbiased. I'm like, <clears throat> I wasn't, I'm not on the whole Bitcoin train. I have Bitcoin. Um, I'm not one of those like, you know, Bitcoin maximalists or hardcore Bitcoin guys. And I was kind of mm -hmm. like turned off by Safer Dean on like Twitter and stuff. Like, I don't know if I really want to get deep into like, just, he seems like a code of personality type dude. That's, yeah. his Lex, that's his Lex Freeman podcast. And he made a, a hopper argument for Monarchy uh, to Lex Freeman. I was kind of like, okay, this guy is someone that I need to actually pay attention to. And I started like watching mm -hmm. this podcast. Him on, he was on Human Action Podcast. I wrote his book. Yeah, I, I'm seeing a fan of his. He definitely is a very interesting and impressive character. I'm mm -hmm. a fan. Yeah, he he. I mean, he gets like some people can be turned off by some of the things he does, but he's definitely like a powerful person, and like you know, 
he's influenced me a lot. I think like half the articles I've written, I like him, like <laughs> use him as my main source. I don't know why that's happened, but just... nice. my first time I heard about this book, my um my neoliberal friend uh read the book, and uh, I was asked, I, when I when I got the book, I texted him like, "Hey man, I got the Bitcoin standard book. What were your thoughts on it?" He's like. It's an interesting book. It goes through a lot of the Austrian nonsense you love to talk about. Um, the guy seemed like an asshole, and I had a hard time finishing the book because I really hated him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I want to love it. I'm going to love this guy, <laughs> aren't I? And I do. I, I read the book. Yeah. Like, <coughs> if you go to the Amazon reviews, it's like that. It'll be like one star. This is like propaganda. He's just, <laughs> And then the next is five stars. Like, you need to read this. It's going to change your world. There's like a lot of books like that, though, yeah. where it's just like one. Yeah, it's, it's pretty funny, these polarizing topics. Oh, yeah. Um, so let's see, we talked about why Bitcoin can be divisible. We talked about how it's only one. Uh, let's talk about like how Bitcoin is, um, used. Like it seems to be, it's just, it's a, it's a digital currency that can be used. And it, it kind of, uh, I think what he used, it solves the problem of space time. Or was that Nick Land? Like I, I Nick Land's articles on Bitcoin. Something I've tried, I tried to read them like twice today. I didn't actually know he, he's, that's interesting. I'll oh, Nick, Nick Land has like one article called Bitcoin solves the problem of space time. And he had one article that said Bitcoin is from the future. Mm-hmm. I, I, I absolutely love, I, I love Nick Land. I hate reading Nick Land. <laughs> um, and so I, I've tried to read his Bitcoin stuff and it's just, mm-hmm. it's bonkers. Yeah. Um, but I'll yeah, Bit, Bitcoin seems to solve the problem of, um, uh, not space time, but like the issue of like, uh, what's the word to use? Um, Sellability across space and time? No. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of goes back. I think I'm trying to remember. There's like in the literature, there's like five properties of money, which we kind of went over. It's like divisibility, durability. um, It's like transportability. And then I forget, like scarcity. And then I forget what the fifth one is. Like like something about being homogenous. I don't remember. But um that kind of goes into it's like saleability across space, which is like transporting it. Saleability across time, which is being durable and scarce, because otherwise the value won't hold theoretically. And then saleability across scale, um, which is like the whole divisibility thing. So I think he makes the argument, and he does it more in his second book as well, that gold has saleability across time. Fiat has saleability across space and Bitcoin is kind of like the one that is a, it like basically has both. Like it is, it is a scarce asset that also, you know, isn't expensive to transport. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah, it, is, it seems like a lot of the um, positive features you would look for and what a currency would be Bitcoin seems to hit all of them, which I think was basically the guy who made it either really new economics or really new money or just got really lucky mm-hmm. but it well, definitely seems like he knew yeah, what he was doing he, i think he he definitely knew economics i know hal finney who's like the not not he's like basically a co-creator and people speculate if he was satoshi he like cites like george selgin and people like mm-hmm. that um so it is interesting it seems to have more of like a hayekian um roots in some ways but i mean doesn't matter to me, I guess. I don't yeah. know if it works. If it, well, if it does the job, it does the job. Yeah. Um, let's see. What, what's another thing to come about with Bitcoin? Um, let's talk about the hate Bitcoin gets. Because Bitcoin gets a lot of hate. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I don't fully understand why. I, I get the, the, the environmental argument I don't get. 
But the argument that kind of, the argument that bugs me the most, I think, is probably the one like Bitcoin is used by criminals, therefore no one should ever ever use it. Mm-hmm. And it's like people buy drugs with cash. It's like yeah, what, I heard that argument <laughs> more back in like 2020. I think with the recent bull market from like 10k to 60k to wherever it is right now, I think it kind of has switched a bit to more like speculation issues or currency stability issues or like you said environmental but i do remember when i was getting into it people would complain about the um criminality of it it is interesting the network is synonymous but not anonymous meaning that all the networks or all the transactions are broadcasted you just don't know who is who so it's not like you can do forensic analysis of um transactions and there are people working on like privacy in the space um, it is an interesting like trade-off, like privacy versus um, basically being able to verify that everything is going right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the whole the argument they make was like it's uh, unstable or something. Or the um, it seems like it's a lot of people I know who make the argument against Bitcoin, all these monetary problems they think Bitcoin, they claim Bitcoin has. But to also then they merely say the pro like U.S. dollar, you know, like they don't. Mm-hmm. Like they're very. Like, I've never seen a person attack Bitcoin who wasn't uh, an NPC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you have like the your gold bugs that are kind of like salty about you know having like an asset do better than gold. I think we mentioned his name. We mentioned his name earlier, but we won't say it <laughs> yeah. again. There's a couple people I won't I won't name names other than him who I already named. Um, I understand. I mean, when I was heard about Bitcoin, I, I thought all the people in it were really like douchey, just like oh, these guys just like want to get rich quick. I don't know. I, I like I think value investors have a natural hatred towards it, but also they don't like gold. So if you don't like gold, you're not going to like Bitcoin. You're probably not going to like Bitcoin because they're not inherently productive assets, as in they don't generate cash flow. Like if you invest in a business, that's something you own, but it's generating money. Whereas Warren Buffett likes to say gold is just a piece of like a rock. So I'm not surprised that people like Warren Buffett don't like Bitcoin. Um, And then there's the gold people that say, oh, it's it's nothing like Bitcoin is nothing like you can't. It it is interesting. Those arguments, I don't feel like they hold up that well. Um, And then there's also like the regression theorem people point to, which is like Mises's idea. I don't know if you. I forget if it's mentioned in this in this book. I think it is briefly. Maybe if you elaborate on that, maybe I don't think I've heard yeah. a little bit on that. One. Yeah. So Mises' regression theorem, I think, in Money and Credit, um, his 1912 book, basically he's saying how does money get its value? Because there's no inherent reason a gold ounce should be worth, I don't know, fifty dollars worth of purchasing power versus a hundred. And his idea is that the starting price of a a money is based on its commodity value. So gold, like in a community, say it's trading for like five sheep, like an ounce of gold trades for like five sheep or like two cows. And that's like the use value before gold is treated as money. That's kind of like the base value. And it's basically as it's accepted as a medium exchange, more people are willing to pay more for it because it has the inherent flexibility of being accepted. So then the price can rise, but it's rising from that base level of like its original value. Um, so it has like an inherent value. And I think Saifedean argues that 
Bitcoin's inherent value is the fact that it is a network ledger that can work internationally. So like people are willing to pay, you know, a penny for a Bitcoin because they're able to, you know, record a transaction with someone else. Like it's basically like an international bookkeeping ledger. And then from there it can gain value. But the weird thing I'd say about the regression theorem, and I think Bob Murphy says this is, well, the regression theorem says that if it doesn't have a starting or like the gold bug interpretation of it says that if something doesn't have a starting commodity value, it can't have a value, but Bitcoin has a value. People are buying it for $30,000 a coin. So your explanation doesn't line up with what actually happened. Like, like it basically, if what, if what gold bugs are saying is true about the regression theorem, Bitcoin couldn't have a price, but it has a price. Does that make mm. sense? It does. It does. Yeah, first first time I ever really got into the whole like Bitcoin thing was like I was at a I was at a gun store. I'm playing the story. I'm playing the story because it's gonna actually be a segue into a whole point about it. Um, and there were these. I'm trying. I'm, I'm grabbing my gun off. I'm getting a, a scope attached to it. And um, these old boomers are just arguing about like why Bitcoin is terrible, mm-hmm. you know. And they're just arguing about it. And I decide to like pipe up and say something like Bitcoin's better than gold. I don't know anything about economics. This is before I read Mises. And so I was just like, fuck it, why not? Um, and this guy's like, with gold, I have it on me. What if I want? I can kill you. With Bitcoin, they cut off the internet. You don't have any money. <laughs> and I was like, if the government walks up to your house, take you take your gold, which they've done in the past, how much gold can you carry? It's me. All I have to do is remember my passcode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's, I, I can travel with it. More than you can travel with your, gold, your hordes of gold. Um. Well, I think it's an interesting point. I think I saw a lot of like um, a lot of agorists are into Bitcoin because one, the synonym, the uh, how it's it's as a ledger, but it also is more like anonymous, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that it, can, it is it is much more movable. Like it's it's easy. It's so much. It's like not even uh, comparable. Like moving gold versus moving with moving with someone with Bitcoin. Yeah, and it, that also gets there's the whole debate within the crypto. Bitcoin space of like transaction volume because Bitcoin basically how it works is that every single transaction is verified by every single node, which is basically just like a computer that stores the entire ledger. But since it's a blockchain, it's like blocks of every transaction all the way back to 2009. So you can only fit a certain amount of transactions in each block, meaning that Bitcoin's limited to like 500,000 transactions a day on the entire network. So that's not scalable to, or like on the base layer, it's not scalable to the entire world, um, which goes into an interesting question of like scalability. And that that's like a legit concern. And Bitcoin Cash is um, basically like, a, I, I feel like I'm going a bit in the weeds, but it's basically what some people like is it's basically um, a copy of Bitcoin that is larger, block sizes so it can fit more transactions but it sacrifices security to do that mm. it is like the most simple trade-off explanation hmm. that, that makes sense that seems it seems like what well, I, I can see what some people would choose that one over say bitcoin like a bitcoin or go bitcoin cast because that uh those benefits um I, I, honestly i don't know i've I went out of my notes i have like a page here and i've already went out of like notes for because we just kind of like gone through everything about it um Anything you want to say about Bitcoin before we kind of just like vamp and find something to talk about? Well, I mean, 
if you have like technical questions let me see if there's if there's yeah if you can think of anything i can try to talk about it i, I think what is a one... blockchain <laughs> it, i still it, don't fully understand that yeah so basically it is um a bunch of nodes which are just like computers running the same algorithm and they're basically finding a way to find consensus um so there's the whole system of nodes will send out transactions and then miners will basically do it so it's so dumb when you explain it without like going into the science because it's basically miners doing hard math problems to kind of verify that those coins are where the nodes say they are. And then if everything seems good, then they're sent and then bundled into a block, which is just like a set of transactions. And then every 10 minutes, the blockchain is updated with the new set of transactions. So say I want to send you one Bitcoin for something. I'll go to my node, which we just use at our phone at this point, and be like, okay, I send your address one Bitcoin. Uh, that goes into the ether. Basically, miners check to make sure that my account actually has the balance I say I have. Mm. And then once they confirm that's true, they confirm the transaction that one Bitcoin moved from my wallet to your wallet. And then that is stuffed in a block. And then that is like added to the permanent ledger. So um, it is the it is interesting that basically Bitcoin setup kind of makes it more um, suited for like a reserve asset status than like cash, like paying, mm -hmm. like you're not going to be paying for like chips on the, on the main network, which is what some people have a problem with. Um, there are scaling solutions though, like lightning, which is basically like a layer two where it's, um, it's basically like a bunch of IOUs set up that only transfer on the main network every once in a while. So you lose a little security. Um, and finality, but if it's like under like a thousand dollars, you know, it's it's worth doing because yeah. there's transaction fees on the network to pay the miners. Hmm. Okay, actually, uh, makes sense to me. I actually got it finally. Um, thank you. Um, what is the security? I know some. I know I have some people who complain who talk to me. I bring on Bitcoin. They're like, they're like, um, what's the word here? Um, like cybersecurity engineering types, and they say blockchains mm -hmm. aren't um aren't aren't secure. Like they're not mm -hmm. secure. Saying like, what is the security? security is this the blockchain? Like, how does the blockchain have security protection? Like, how does that operate? I'd say that the blockchain itself, specifically Bitcoin, because it prioritizes security, which is one of the reasons it's. I could see it as a uh, reserve asset because, like, you couldn't have a reserve asset if any of the transactions could be faulty. Um, but it's very slow and clunky, but prioritizes security. I'd say blockchain is very safe. Everything we know, there's a thing called a 51% attack, but it doesn't destroy the network. It just stops it. Basically, if someone controls more than 50% of the network's mining power, which is just like, you know, like it used to be graphics cards. Now it's like um, specific like pieces of computer hardware that like do these transactions, um, like mathematical formulas to confirm transactions then they can send in faulty transactions over and over again. Um, but nodes, which are like the ones confirming, can be like, oh, we see this doesn't follow the protocol, therefore we're not gonna accept it. Um, but then it, it like basically screws up the network until the network can be over 50% or basically more of the network needs to be legitimate than, than fraudulent. Um, so that kind of is the importance of decentralization as if, a million people are all running software 
you would need a huge force to even get close to that. And that that's why it's in blockchain. It's kind of a winner's take all because any network other than Bitcoin is less secure because it has less power um, securing it. Um, so it makes more sense for people to go to Bitcoin because it's the most secure, which in theory pushes up the price and the price kind of incentivizes people to secure it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you could screw with it. Um, Bitcoin has never been 51% attacked. Um, smaller blockchains have been. I, I think for Bitcoin, it would be like $15 billion every, <coughs> like, I forget if it's like monthly. And that would just delay the network. And in theory, nodes could just like blacklist the the fraudulent miners. And then so it, it is it is an interesting thing. I think more of the security concern is on the user end, hmm. um, which is how people, you know, get screwed out of their coins. Because there's never been um, like fraudulent transaction on the network itself. It's just with people getting like their keys stolen, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I saw about a guy who like had his key on his computer and like he missed his rent or something and they uh, landlord threw all stuff on a dump and now he's yeah. just, like, going through the dump trying to find his computer so he can get the key so he can get the bitcoin i'm like listen bitcoiners if you are uh, you have bitcoin and you're not paying your rent you have a problem <laughs> well yeah it, it is interesting back in like the 2011 era um everyone just stored bitcoin on their computer but they didn't have like the password for it it was just on the computer. So if you lose the computer, you like literally lost the Bitcoin and security's gotten, or not security, more like storage has gotten way more sophisticated because mm. now it's actually valuable. There's tons of stories about people that like dabbled in it and just like lost track of it. So it's interesting to think how many, I think the estimates like two to 3 million coins all are lost. And that's out of the 21 million total. So it's actually closer to like 18 million. Wow. That's interesting. Apparently, um, this guy, Max Kaiser, I think is his name, gave Alex Jones a laptop with 50,000 Bitcoin on it or something crazy, maybe 10,000. But it was like, it would be like over a billion dollars now. And Alex Jones just lost it. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like over a decade ago. Oh like there's God. a clip of Alex Jones talking like, this guy just gave me a, like 10,000 Bitcoins and I didn't know what they were and I just lost them. And then... <laughs> It's just like oh my when he when he if he loses that when he has to pay up for that court case he lost sadly he was going to go into his attic and like where is it where yeah. is it <laughs> just trying to find it I, I'm bankrupt I declare bankruptcy and it moves somewhere it's gonna be an amazing story um I had, I had a point I said I wrote it down um <clears throat> give me a moment. I, I had a question I was gonna ask um give me a moment. It's not coming back to me. It's not coming. Maybe it'll come back to you later. I hope it comes back to me because I remember really wanted to bring that point up, and now it's it's gone. Um, shit coins. That's what it was. Let's talk about shit nice. coins for a little bit. <laughs> Saved it. Um, so there are a lot of shit coins. Dogecoin. Um, apparently Ethereum is considered a shit coin. I have like twenty five. I have yeah. like twenty five dollars of, um crypto.com cryptocurrency because it came mm -hmm. free with my account nice I, I don't know what to do with it 
I tried to sell it, but it's probably, probably, it's probably like a dollar now. <laughs> I, have to, I want to sell it. And it's like it'd be over oh, fifty dollars. Like, I have to have over fifty to sell. And I'm like, I'm not <laughs> buying more of this shit coin so I can sell it for a dollar. I'm not. I'm not doing yeah, this. So I'm just gonna sit there forever and never be touched. Mm-hmm. But like, what awesome shit coins and why awesome? Why is Bitcoin, Bitcoin? Why are all other cryptocurrencies? Considered by most Bitcoins to be Bitcoin. Like, what is the difference here between Bitcoin yeah. and Bitcoin? So, I think there's like several levels of Bitcoiners. I mean, there's people into crypto, which means they're basically into everything. Bitcoin is generally the largest holding of cryptos just because it's just the most secure and people consider it like the boring, stable. <laughs> For how volatile Bitcoin is, people in the crypto space consider it like the, the, <laughs> like the non-vile volatile asset in some ways it's just kind of depressing to think about um you have people that are like bitcoin mostly basically like oh i think bitcoin's the best but there's altcoins that have utility then there's bitcoin maximalists who are like bitcoin is the only good one everything else is a scam everything else is going to zero everything else is terrible um I mean, I'm in between the, the second and third one. And it is like the fourth level is Nick Land, which is Bitcoin is in the future and solves the problem of space, mm-hmm. time, and travel. Yeah, and then there's and the people just... that think like everything else is like a CIA operation to <laughs> try to take down Bitcoin. And it's like... <laughs> Listen, I love, I, I love Bitcoiners on Twitter. I don't talk to them. I'm scared. But I love to like watch them do things. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, interesting. It's like, of course, my, my favorite my favorite Bitcoiner is uh, a narco-Canadian. Like that guy. I, mm-hmm. That guy's great. He's he's agreed to come on once he ever, he ever actually gets his own recording equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked him like six months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this that guy's great on stuff. Um, but like, I know Dogecoin. I only work, I don't know about cryptocurrency. I know about Dogecoin. And I I know a YouTuber Cody coded a video where he just talked about uh, shit coins, pretty much. Like he talked about like there's a cum coin. <laughs> There's a, a nipple coin. There's, there's yeah. all these really crazy. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is what one of the things that made me not like the space at first. But mm-hmm. I guess I can find some solace in the fact that being a, a Bitcoin maximalist, like you kind of avoid that stuff. But yeah. to some extent, the industry is dr- pull, like pulled down by like the degeneracy and silliness and like lever over leverage of like speculation. So, so it is interesting. It feels like the Wild West of like, I believe in Bitcoin, but there's very uncomfortable things that I wish weren't around the space, but just because it's a fringe thing that's going to kind of happen. Yeah. I almost um, thought I, about making a currency of uh, a, a cryptocurrency for ostrotomism. Ostotom- <laughs> it's called the, the Aquinas coin or something. Did you see like Ma- Miami, Miami coin? Oh my gosh. The oh. the Miami guy, Suarez, made like Miami coin and it's just like down like 99%. Most altcoins are just like a copy and paste of the Bitcoin code with some changes. And people are like, oh, what's the value in Bitcoin if you could just copy it? Well, I mean, first of all, there's network effects. Why would people move? Um, there's like the amount of energy put into the current Bitcoin network and all of the holders are incentivized to stay on the, the main chain, which mm-hmm. which is interesting. Um, I was going to say something else. Um, and then like basically like what Saferdine talks about in this book that money is kind of like a winner takes all because why would you have the second best money when the whole point of money is to be the most universal thing so 
you know, like something like Dogecoin, like people will buy it hoping it goes up. But at the end of the day, there's no reason for there to be two coins and which one is going to win. It, it, it makes more sense for the one that's established and actually has holders and is looks, like established and secure. Looks to me like Bitcoin is, uh, how about this? Bitcoin is a currency from another, like another look at, like, you know, like just compete as a um, US dollar, it's like Canadian dollar, that kind of stuff. Bitcoin looks like to me when I look at this kind of out of perspective, Bitcoin is another currency you're just trading your money for. Why altcoins and sitcoins are just like stock market when you invest in something hoping it goes up. Yeah, it's kind of like that. And there are, I think I would differentiate between coins that are literally just a copy and paste of Bitcoin Mm -hmm. with coins that are trying to be utility based. When Ethereum was made in like 2012, uh, Vitalik said, oh, Bitcoin is gold, Ethereum is oil, like the two commodities, because you basically burn Ethereum to do stuff like smart contracts and NFTs and all that stuff is on the Ethereum network. So basically, my opinion is, okay, Ethereum is way more complicated than Bitcoin. I don't like that it has, it's way more centralized than Bitcoin. It doesn't function nearly as well as a money if there's controllers changing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I'm like, okay, well, if it does something useful, why do the coins need value? You know what I mean? So like, like there can be a piece of technology, but the technology doesn't need a, a natively digital coin. It's like kind of like casino chips, like casino chips don't have value. They just are exchanged for real money. So it's like similarly, why couldn't Ethereum be denominated in Bitcoin at some point? You know what I mean? Like there's, I mean, obviously it would be great for the holders of Ethereum if it went up in price, but that that's like mostly it. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, I think there are some interesting projects in, you know, crypto space, this whole, um, I don't know if you saw the whole like Terra Luna USD, like a stable coin collapsed is like this Luna coin or something that lost like $40 billion in value. Pretty, pretty impressive. Um, which kind of is what is putting Bitcoin down so much right now. I've, I've noticed I've been second. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I got some friends into the hype back a while ago and the texts I get earlier, should I sell? Should I sell when it's falling? And I'm like, uh, I mean, they're basically, they're always asking, should I sell? Should I sell? And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I was like, I, I didn't give the financial advice. But... Immediately sends like the financial advice disclaimer to send the text. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. uh, yeah. And it's, um, I saw a debate recently and it was on, um, I was on a line for Liberty stand. It was on like, said Bitcoin be used as a savings. Uh, was basically how I use it. You know, I don't I don't invest in Bitcoin like I've been seeing use in the future when you know um I use it as a saving mechanism I, I know it's gonna have it's gonna hold value better than the uh if I just store cash in my bed kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, which I think is an important part of Bitcoin is that what's inflation this fiat money inflation or pushing low uh, high time what's one is the bad one again? High time preference or low time preference. <laughs> well was, technically it's not te- economics te- is yeah. not a normative science. Okay, so. technically. <laughs> what's one is the what's one is the fat what's one is the uh, fat high time buff? preference <laughs> is what we make fun of. Okay. Low time preference is cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm how gonna confirm. You, my how bio do, says low time preference individual. There we go. There you go. go. Mine wants to say high time, high time preference. Um <laughs> Uh, only way I keep track of it, I know like from like some Zim bros, you say the low time preference. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. why I keep track. Yeah. Um, it seems like because uh, figure out money and inflationary, it's like 
it all inspires and encourages uh, high time preference behavior because mm. it is like, hey, this money is not going to be here forever. You have to spend it now or you're not going to have any value, which I know I am like guilty of. It's why I like my money in Bitcoin because it's just a hassle for me to sell it. I don't fully trust that I'm actually going to get it back. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I know that I'm not if – I, if, I, if I need like money for a sandwich, I'm not going to sell off Bitcoin for a sandwich. Yeah. You know, and so it, it is a, it's a savings mechanism for myself. This is mm-hmm. not financial advice. I'm going to have to put that – I'm going to have to edit the disclaimer in this, honestly. Uh, this is not financial advice. Uh, but I use it as a saving mechanism because I know that the it's at least going to hold its value better than uh, my U.S. dollar does in my bank account. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. It's definitely not – I think – I forget where it's – put out but basically like the four forms of like four stages of money it's like first it's a collectible then it's a store of value then it's a medium of exchange then it's a unit of account so collectible is just when it's something cool but you don't consider it like as a savings mechanism so like if it's a digital token that you know is fixed that you can send across the world that's pretty cool like i would you know buy some just have um store of value is probably where it is now where people see it as something that will be desirable in the future because I know it's like a unique network that is fixed. So whenever someone in the future will have like a desire to use, to basically flee to a, a complete certain, no, oh, be there. Yeah. Okay. My internet's going out again. Um, oh, no. Go ahead and say a sentence over again and we'll do plugs because I don't want to lose the stream. Okay. It sounds good. Um, what was I saying? you talking about saving bitcoin yeah i think bitcoin's currently like in the store of value where people see it as oh i think down the road people will still value it and that is the question because i mean at the end of the day money is relying on other people's valuations in the future um that's why i don't think the volatility argument is is that good because it's 13 years old like it's going to be volatile. Like it's old enough for canes. Yeah. If you look at like, <laughs> if you look at the volatility of gold as it gets monetized, you see something similar. Like it's still in monetization phases. Like people are buying and selling it. People are running away, greeting back in. Um, so volatility is to be expected. I, I'd yeah. like, I'd say it's still in the phases where, it's like a hedge. Like I think this is going to be, has a high chance of being considered valuable or an asset in the future. Therefore I'm going to buy it now. And then with that comes the expectations of volatility because it's such a new, unique thing kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Well guys, it's been um, a book club on the Bitcoin standard by Safer Dana Moose. I absolutely recommend this book. I I really enjoyed it. It's on Audible. You can get it from Mises.org as well. Oh, Awesome. I wish I knew that beforehand. I got it for Amazon. I, I don't know. He's not on Twitter currently, but um the emo hopping guy. I'll post any pick of buying a book on Amazon and he'll like comment pisses. Yeah, those books look nice. And he'll send me a link to the Mises Institute book page. <laughs> <laughs> like he keeps like one time I got a book and it was like a the corner was bent. He's like, Hey man, did I wrap your book badly? <laughs> like he just he's just constantly he's like checking on the books. So I, I absolutely love it. Um yeah, it's great to know someone in the warehouse. Yeah. Anyway, uh, man, thanks so much for coming on. I always enjoy having you on. You're a really smart guy. Uh, what are your plugs? Where can people find you at? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Hagfish. I write some stuff. I post stuff. Um, if you're looking for more info on Bitcoin, I'm not the best tech guy, so I'd recommend Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos if you want like the tech side because 
I'm I'm into finance and econ. I'm not a computer science guy, so I, I just like you know. So if, if you're interested in learning more about that, that's where I'd go. Um, yeah, that's that's it. Just Twitter for now. I believe you had a recent article published as well. Yeah, I just published something for the Hoppian, which was fun to do. Nice. Love those guys. Yeah. Um, well, guys, it's been an episode of Face the Winning Practice. This is uh, the 99th episode. So tomorrow night will be the 100th episode live stream. So um, it's 12 hours long. I got a lot of great stuff planned. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. But uh, anybody like, comment, share, subscribe, go to the Patreon. Um, yeah, have a good night.